Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Salutations, everyone, and welcome to the Brown Men Won't Jump podcast. You did it. You listened to our first part on the Western Conference. If you haven't, give that a check out on your feed before you listen to this one, because we're going to be digging into some of the other Western Conference episodes. Uh, but with us, we have the same crew from the part one. We have Aswi. Howdy how. We have Ranga. Yo. We have AC. What's up, guys? And we have our Canadian MC, Anushan. Yo, what's good, guys? So with that, ladies and gentlemen, binary and non-binary folks, I want to introduce you <laughs> to our part two Western Conference episode. All right, guys, let's continue our conversation about the wild, wild west. And let's start with the jazz coming out of the state of Utah, the state of skiing, Mitt Romney, and really not much else. But hey, at least they have a young, exciting team. They have to do something because they're not having sex, right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, you know what uh, they we, do we have? We've lost our Mormon audience right now, guys. <laughs> yeah. So if we're talking about the jazz. we got to start with Spider Mitchell. So one of the big things that happened, and it's it's definitely a big deal for a small market team like the Utah Jazz, is that Donovan Mitchell agreed to a five-year max extension. After what you guys saw in the bubble, what do you think his ceiling is as a player? Do you see him as a guy who could eventually become a best player on a championship team? I think so, right? Depending on the mold of what kind of championship you team you have right so if you have a really talented roster um and he could be your 1a if there's a 1b i don't think he could be an alpha one but i think he could be a 1a 1b kind of deal i think it's extremely well deserved he definitely proved that he can ball out with the biggest names in basketball for sure he's shown that throughout the course of the regular season and especially in the playoffs he gave everything he really had against the nuggets um super intriguing player too because there's not really that many players of his size who have that type of explosiveness uh but i'm not sure if he could really take the jazz all the way he definitely need another big name player there and it might be hard to draw someone like that with the market they have even though they have a good supporting cast as far as the utah jazz go i'd like to see them make a couple more important and better moves because i don't think they've done enough so you didn't like the Derek Favors coming back again, even though they couldn't play with him. They couldn't play with Gobert the first time, but they brought him back again for some reason. Yeah. Um, well, one going, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. I'm not a big Gobert guy anyway, but the thing with Derek Favors is I just find him like he's already tapped out his ceiling. He he does what you kind right. of need him to he do. Is he's he is good, like point. yeah, like he like can he's rebound. Great, here he's a there. great backup center, probably like one of the best that'll be in the NBA, but. Sure, He's yeah. not going to change your ceiling too much. I don't think they have them. And again, favorite, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. They just drafted Udoka Azubuike or something, who is a bullying post player. He's a rim protector, good rebounder. He's the NCAA's all-time field goal percentage leader. So if you're drafting a guy like that, seemingly as your backup center, why are you bringing back Derek Favors? That is what doesn't make sense to me for the Jazz. What what I'll say to that, right, is I think especially when you're drafting in that range and especially with as weak of a draft as this, when you draft a guy like that, you're sort of hoping that that player is going to pop. 
but you don't necessarily build the rest of your roster with expectations that they will. So I think it's fine. You know, you have favors. If this new rookie ends up being promising, even even if he ends up being good, right, he's probably not going to be that great or that impactful this year, right? So I, I think I think they're sort of just, you know, hedging their bets and saying, you know, this is our guy. If this rookie really takes off, then that's great. So Nizzle talked about the Jazz hedging a little bit. I actually think drafting that young center is a hedge against Rudy Gobert himself. Because let's not forget, this guy was patient zero of the NBA's COVID outbreak. And there was plenty of reports of friction between him and Donovan Mitchell after Mitchell then tested positive after uh, Gobert was positive for COVID. And he's eligible for a supermax. And I don't know about you guys, but that's a lot of money to give a guy who, granted, he's an elite defensive player, as good of a rim protector as, as there is in the NBA. He's a great role man. But he's like a guy who like half the time the ball is passed to him on a, on a, on a difficult pass, he fumbles the ball. Like he has poor hands. He de- he actually wants post touches now because he wants to be an all-star and he thinks that's how he gets to become one. Um, a little Dwight Howard-esque in that way. I'd be a little bit worried about giving him a super max or even a regular max. I mean, would you guys feel comfortable with either of those things? Absolutely not. I- I've never been very high on, on Rudy Gobert because, yes, he's an elite defensive player, but what else does he give you? Yeah, th- this is one of the unintended consequences of introducing the Supermax, right? Is any anytime a franchise is going in that direction with a player, they they start to hedge. Um I, I do agree with AC's point. Like Spider was pissed off at this dude, as he should have been. I mean, he was so reckless with like licking mics and all this shit, uh, you know, just really not taking coronavirus seriously. It was a horrible look for for Gobert. Um, but I, I think ultimately with this team Nissal's point of like like Mitchell is not going to be good enough to be like he he needs a really good supporting cast around him in order to I think get it to get to the next level. So like if Mike Conley could somehow magically reverse the clock and get back to who he was with the Grizzlies before his his latest injury there, you know that would help. Um, you think you think but, Mike Conley's washed, Runga? Because that's a guy that I know both of us have often talk about a guy we really respect. I mean, he was a great playoff player. He's awesome using both hands. He's got this amazing game, but he looked so bad last year that I actually wonder if it's just the the history of NBA point guards uh, that are uh, on the smaller end as they get into their mid-30s, their games tend to decline a lot. So do you even think that Mike Conley is that player anymore? I I really don't want to give up on him. This is just me as a fan. Like, I love Mike Conley's game. Uh, Elite defender, clutch player, great great uh ball handler and passer and i think historically extremely underrated if not you know at times the most underrated player in in the league um so i want to kind of say you know sometimes it takes players a couple years to to um recover from an injury and maybe that was the case uh but i'm not sure ac uh the last point i want to make here is like look they they took denver to gain to to seven games Right. Um, and so who knows? I mean, they might have been good enough to get to the Western Conference Finals uh, last season. So so we'll see. I'm definitely excited to see um, how they do. And I think now that Mitchell has made all this money, it, it's up to him to prove that he's worth it. I definitely want to just like talk a bit more in depth about like Gobert and why I don't think he's that good. Just because and, and with Conley, too. But. With, when it comes to Gobert, like teams just play him out of the playoffs. Like they can't even play Gobert comfortably anymore. So we've seen it. Ha- like I agree with the point that he's a great rim protector, probably as good as it gets in the NBA. But 
he's one of the slowest footed centers and like goofiest looking centers like out there with zero footwork right so when teams like the the rockets for example want to like five out him and to space him out like what is he going to do on the floor he has no place on the floor at, at points like that he's not guarding anyone he would get if he decided to just camp in the paint he's gonna get called for defensive three seconds so there's teams like that that abuse him as well as like Jokic who absolutely brutalized him in this uh playoff series that we we saw I thought Jokic destroyed him and did exactly what I thought he would do which is post them up and space them out and Gobert or yeah Gobert had no chance at stopping him uh to talk a bit about Conley too um I agree with Runga I really love Mike Conley as well I think he's a phenomenal player at his position but I feel like with his age getting up there and kind of what is expected of both Mitchell and Conley in that offense. I feel like the load gets a bit relieved from Conley, and he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands to really succeed in terms of the way he facilitates the game. And I just think Don Mitchell is also a player who exceeds at having the ball in his hands, and you can't have two guys like that just playing in that capacity, in my opinion, at least. I think that's definitely a good point. Now, you brought up Nikola Jokic. That's a good segue to our next team. A team that maybe some were surprised to see make the Western Conference Finals last year and, and coming back a resilient team, mentally resilient team that came back from th- two 3-1 deficits and knocked out you know, famously not just the Jazz, but the very heavily favored Clippers. They have these two young stars, but I would argue they got maybe a little bit worse this offseason. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I would say marginally worse, but on the spectrum of like relevancy, they're in the same spot. Um yeah, I, I don't think their I don't think their their needle was moved much in either direction. I disagree with that, Nissel, because losing Jeremy Grant and Tory Craig, uh, that's just who who's going to guard their uh, like the LeBrons, the Kawhis, the KDs of the league? Who do they have now that can do that? Yeah, and to add to that, they were already a team that had somewhat of a weakness in that their two best players aren't particularly great defenders, and so. Now you're taking away additional defensive strength from that. So I think maybe their their ceiling is about the same, but their floor is definitely lower. And not just that, even in trades and free agency or the draft, they didn't pick up anybody who could do that. The only person that might be able to do that is Jamichael Green, but he's, he's more experienced defending the four and the five than the three. Yeah, so I would what, agree what with is, that. How, how could they have only marginally gotten you know better or worse or whatever i think they got significantly worse i don't know about significantly because i i still think Jokic and murray are so good um and they're both so young and same with michael porter and i think a lot of this is just them believing in michael porter so much um that they think that his ceiling as a player uh, can raise their whole team but i'm the jeremy grant thing really surprised me i think that was one of the most surprising moves of the whole offseason not just that the Pistons were willing to give him this absurd $20 million a year that he was looking for, but that the Nuggets were willing to match it. And he said no, because he wanted to play for play, play for Detroit to get more of an offensive role. And I yeah. thought, you know, that reminds me of Pat Riley's famous disease of more when teams start winning where various players want bigger roles. I don't think Jeremy Grant is the kind of player that could even have that much of a greater role offensively. I think he's kind of in the, was in the perfect situation last year, doing the things that he was doing. And, but the, you know, the sad thing is the Nuggets got worse as a result of him leaving though, for sure. I think it's uh, interesting that you bring that point up about his, him wanting to go to Detroit for a larger offensive role. Um, while I think we can all agree that he 
we, he's kind of like a ceiling player right now too. Cause he, I think he's at his high point where he's this really good three, not really necessarily a high caliber three point shooter, but he can shoot the three he can space the floor. He's an elite defender, uh, can guard multiple positions. And we've seen like small faint traces of him being able to kind of put the ball a little bit on the floor, get his own shots off, go to the rim and slash, but it's not enough to even put him in the like high caliber tier of offensive talents around the NBA. And I'm sure many, both, all of you guys can agree with that for the most part. I hope. I, I agree. And I, and I think I wish they had a better off season, but that being said, this is a team that is extremely resilient. Um, I've been following this team ever since they beat the Spurs in, in the seven game series. Um, and I've just, you're, you know, from that point been amazed at, at, at their level of production and particularly their execution and their decision-making down the stretch. I mean, what they did in the last postseason was unprecedented coming back, um, you know, from a, being, after being done down three, one, um, you know, in, in losing situations going into the third quarter multiple times. So, so I think there's something to be said there. Another thing to note, guys, is if I'm not mistaken, Will Barton was injured. That's um, a great point. Yeah, Will Barton yeah. coming back will really help them, I think. Absolutely. Maybe they'll, you know, develop a young bull bull and, you know, <laughs> bring some size in there uh, with True. the Joker. Another thing to, to make, another point to make is P.J. Uh, Dozier got some minutes um deep into the postseason and really performed well. So perhaps that's a young talent that they're, that they're looking to develop. And and even another role player like Monte Morris s- stepped up, right? So I, I think what we're going to see next year is a Nuggets team with a lot of confidence and a lot to prove. Um, and for me, I have so much faith in their top two. Uh, I look at these top two as, as elite players, as superstars. I know some of you guys disagree with me there. Uh, right, you think really that Jamal Murray is already a superstar? Is what you're saying? I think he's already a superstar. Um, when mm-hmm. you lead a team, uh, I mean, he's the guy that they depended on to make big shots. He he reminded me of Mr. Big Shot in certain uh, Chauncey Billups in certain stretches in the postseason, where I just believed that every shot that he took was gonna was gonna go in and and uh, in crunch time, and, and largely that that's what happened. Now, to me, the biggest disappointment in this team last year was Gary Harris. Gary Harris just did not show up in the postseason. Um, and if he can just be incrementally better this year, I think this team is is uh, is going to go deep into the playoffs once again. Well, Jamal Murray, to me, for him to really be considered the superstar that I think we all see that he can be just based on last season's playoffs, is he, he's got to be more consistent night to night. I mean, there's so many regular season games where it feels like he's not doing just enough. I mean, if you look at him, he's a below 20 point per game scorer in regular seasons. And he's a guy who clearly can have multiple 50 point games in a series. So he's got that gear. He's just got to go to that gear more often. Um, Nikola Jokic is a guy, Anushan, who I know you, as someone really values passing. And he's another guy. I mean, I think he's one of the 10 best players in the NBA. He's actually the superstar on the team, in my opinion. Can you just talk a little bit about him? And what, yeah. what you've seen from him. Absolutely, for sure. Um, yeah, like you said, his passing is like otherworldly. Uh, he reminds me a lot of other like great passing bigs. Like we can talk about Bill Walton, uh, Arvita Sabonis, Vlade Divac. Vlade Divac. Yeah. yeah. I know you're a big Vlade Divac guy too, right? So sure. it's like... I think he might be better than all those guys at yeah. passing. I mean, he's that special of a passer. Yeah, like it, it's not like... Because a lot of these guys are able to, you can run a lot of like high post action with um, a lot of these other centers that we listed. 
But with Jokic, you can put him anywhere on the floor and he's able to make a play out of anything, even the smallest of things. That's why, like, when, when teams play Denver, especially in the regular season, they're super unprepared to deal with them because they're not used to playing against teams that, like, cut as, like, viciously as, as they do to slash for easy buckets. And again, like, because Jokic is such a dominant, not only is he a dominant passer, but he's a dominant post player, too. So if you're not willing to play that matchup correctly and you want to drop your center into the paint, well, he's just going to expose whoever's guarding him now. And if you if the center's guarding him on the, the low block or the high post, then it just opens up room for cutters to get easy baskets around the rim. So I think there's so many things like that. Not, it's not even mentioning his full arsenal of offense, right? He's a phenomenal shooter, phenomenal shot creator, incredibly clutch. I think this guy, like you said, is definitely a top 10 player. Of course, we'd love to see him put more effort and be a bit better of a defender, right? But again, it's like a lot of what we see around the the great offensive talents of the NBA. It's hard to for these kind of players that aren't exceptionally generational type players to be as good as they are on both ends, right? Also, like, can we talk about how mentally tough Jokic is? Like, Dwight's pestering and bugging him the whole game, and this guy's stone-faced, yep. not giving him anything, I totally agree, Anushan. I think one of the things I love about the Joker is like every post game interview when people ask him like what what's going into the next game or the next series, he's he's always about having fun. He's like, let's just have fun. When we have fun, we win. You know, so <laughs> yeah, I love it's his like attitude. Super funny, actually. But he he has a great attitude <laughs> yeah. when it comes to the game of basketball. I I think it's really good. He's actually a fun big center guy. Yeah, not for like Joel. Not like Embiid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of other guys who play the game with a tremendous amount of joy, let's move on to Dallas and Luka Doncic. I mean, what did last year show you guys about a ceiling? Do you see him being a legit MVP contender this season? To me, like when I saw that shot go in, um, you guys know what shot I'm referring to, right? And the Against the Clippers when Porzingis yeah. was hurt and he hit this big shot. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just like, I, I don't know where his ceiling is, but I, if I had to put a ceiling, it would be like all-time great. That's how I'm looking at this guy right now. Yeah, I uh, I find myself agreeing with, with Rongo. I sure. agree, right? I think it's so interesting. The rise and the ascent of Luka Doncic and the way he started producing at the level he did in so early in his career accelerated the talk so much of the NBA modern day being so fast paced and that stats these days don't mean so much because people had to reconcile the fact that Luca's already producing at all time, great statistic statistical levels of production. So they're trying to marginalize the, the output of today's game because he was able to do it so quickly. And so suddenly I totally agree at that age. It's absolutely amazing. And I think, I hesitated earlier because I was about to say his ceiling is like goat status, but I, I think he's just not a good enough defender who hasn't shown that that he, he could be good enough on, on that side of the court. Um, but look, like I love that. Look, he's got insane range. He's got ice in his veins. When he gets close to the paint, he can make like any type of layup. It, it, it almost reminds me of like a less athletic sort of Kyrie or Steph in the way that he finishes close to the basket. I mean, he's an absolute joy to watch. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this kid. Um, and in some in some way, like, I look at the Mavs as if they got one more big piece, like an all-star caliber piece, they might even have been too good. So in some ways, I'm, like, glad that they stayed relatively neutral this offseason. And um, 
you know, they, they got Josh Richardson, of, of course, and I think he can he can help them out. But I, I'm really excited to see, you know, with a healthy Porzingis, what, what their one and two can do. So to me, the comparison to Luka Doncic is way above even a guy like Kyrie. I actually think the guy he reminds me most of is, I can't believe I'm saying this, it's LeBron James. He's absolutely yeah, gigantic. His court vision is incredible. He can make these cross-court passes that basically just him and LeBron can make. They'll go right over the defense. They're always a step ahead. You said that he has great range, and he does, but he's not actually a very good shooter. In fact, that's actually the worst part of his game is his jump shot. A little bit like you know LeBron, especially early in his career. What he is amazing, though, is at getting to the rim and finishing. So like you can try whatever you want, but if you play any kind of cheap coverage, he's going to punish the mismatch. He's going to hunt the Lou Williams of the world. And then he can make you pay inside in a way that historically guys like LeBron could do and very few have ever been able to do. But to couple that with that passing ability and just the IQ of the game, I don't think it's a coincidence that you know just recently LeBron said that Luka was the one guy he wanted to take over and be like part of if LeBron was ever launched an official shoe brand with uh, like a team LeBron brand that goes beyond just his own shoe. He wanted Luka to be that guy because he loves his game. And Luka actually grew up idolizing LeBron. Um, and you can see the influence of his game all over Luka's. Yeah, we, we didn't even mention how good of his like, ball handling is for someone of his size, right? 6'7", six, 6'8", six, like the ability to like, he's not a particularly athletic guy. Like we, we all know this, right? But again, it's, it's not really about the athleticism, but it's more so understanding when to use your speed, when to accelerate out of the triple threat and do things like that. Like he's constantly taking elite defenders off the dribble. And it kind of reminds me of like when you go play, in, when you go play pickup, right? And like there's this one guy that just, he just finishes around the rim and like you have no idea how to stop it. And it's like pissing you off because he's not doing anything to overpower you or be more athletic than you, right? Like, He's definitely not even like in he's the upper so echelon. He's just so patient. His, yeah, his game patience. is so mature. He basically has an old man's game and he's just, you know, he's so freaking young. It's incredible. No, for sure. And again, oh. like like you said, like LeBron, um, he's LeBron minus the athleticism and the deep defensive prowess at the same age, right? So it's incredible. I mean, offensively, he's better than LeBron was at this age. And granted, it was for a sure, different yeah. league. It was a slower pace. And some of the other points come in, but I think he's actually a little bit more advanced than LeBron in some ways at this stage of his career. Um, I actually and I like he does have Rungo touched on one of his weaknesses. It's defensive. He's a bit of a I won't call him a sieve exactly because he's still big, but he's not a good defender. That's for sure. Uh, so I actually really liked him getting Josh Richardson. I mean, also you watched Josh Richardson pretty close last season. What do you think about them getting that getting uh, Josh Richardson on the team? Well, look, I I I always liked Josh Richardson when he was with the Heat, right? But when he came to Philly, he, he wasn't shooting well defensively. He was fine, but like. The problem is if 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 he's supposed to be like a three and D type of guy for you, I mean he he can he can slash, but like he has to be better shooting this year. Otherwise, it's almost it felt like for me at least that we were playing four on five uh, on offense. But maybe I'm just a sour Sixers fan saying that. Well, I mean, to me, like the Mavs already had a historically potent offense last year. They just need some perimeter defense, so. Anything you can get on that end, like it's not like Richardson's like a lights out shooter, but he's a capable three point shooter who's a legitimately great defensive guard. And so he had a bit of a talent season last year, but I believe in the talent. I think it makes them just having him alone makes him better. I think he's an upgrade over over Seth Curry for what they specifically need on this team. Yeah, I found myself agreeing with that point as well. I see. But what about Kristaps Porzingis? So that's a guy that I specifically have looked at 
very close as a Knicks fan. And to be honest, I'm a little bit bitter about the whole way that played played out when he demanded to be, you know, let go from the Knicks before even fulfilling his rookie contract. Here, you know, freaking Donovan Mitchell is signing in Utah. And we can't even keep Porzingis in New York. But, um, you know, I thought... Of- Porzingis. That's not yeah, Porzingis. Maybe, that, that's probably true, but I mean, I, I can't help but be a little bit bitter about it. But I, I thought last year, though, at times he looked absolutely incredible. Uh, particularly as a three-point shooter, he had a consistency and a range that I don't think he's ever really had before. Um, I know, you, Nissel, you've often ribbed me about the Mavs robbing the Knicks. What do you kind of see in Porzingis? He's a gazelle, man. He he runs the floor like people his height don't. He, like you said, his Goldsberry shot, uh, shot chart is, you know, it's it's really somewhere where bigs usually aren't. Um, He's a true stretch five in like every sense of that word. True stretch five. And if you, uh, you know, off the pick and roll, he attacks the basket like tremendously. I just, uh, if you just talk offensive production, offensive workload, Bigs in today's NBA aren't really designed to take that kind of a burden, but he is one of the unique ones that can, right? It's really, I, I think it's really him and Bede AD, like he's in a very small rarefied category. Um, so the production is there, I, I and he's young enough that I know he's going to keep getting better. I think really the the, the concern is the injuries, which... It's dicey and it's it's a little nerve wracking, but if he if he can stay healthy, he's going to be amazing. Well, I mean, for, for sure, the health thing is is legitimate. At his height, I can only think of one guy who had a long career, and that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. At seven three, guys just don't stay healthy, and he's already proven that he's having difficulty doing that. I do want to push back a little bit about his sort of ceiling as a player, as what you're implying, Nissal. I think that he's not that good defensively in space, so he really can't switch. I mean, he could definitely protect the rim. Um, but even guy like, as I was talking about, a guy like Gobert, if you can't defend in space, it limits you a lot. I think he's way worse than Gobert at that, right? Another thing is, he's not particularly a great one-on-one player where that if a team is switching against him, that he can do, like, punish a mismatch. He's more a guy who can pop out and then he can, like, attack in a role. Um, I so I don't know what the ceiling for him as, as an offensive player is. Like, I, I don't really see him as the number two on a championship team. I think he could be like a really good number three option on a title contender. Um, but that's, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit down on him because I'm a bit bitter. So, <laughs> But you have to, you do have to admit that the chemistry that he shows with Luca, and especially the type of personnel that these two, the things that they provide themselves, they're like perfect matches for each other, right? Like that, that should go without saying. Yeah, no, for I, sure. I, no question. I totally agree. I, th- I think, like, this team has the intangibles. They absolutely love playing with each other. Like, when, when you look at all, every interview that Luca had post, uh, post-game, post he just talks about how he loves this unit. And that and when you're a leader, when your top talent feels that way, it, it's 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 really a big deal, in my opinion. And, and the last thing is they're coaching. They, they have an excellent coach. Uh, they have excellent ownership. Like I, I expect this team to be really good in the years to come. Um, personally, I, I think they can they can uh, get to you know the second round of the playoffs this time. That's what I'm looking for them to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, watch out if they add Giannis. Forget it. I hope that doesn't happen because I think they're going to be too good. But yeah, um, I mean, and for those of you who aren't so familiar with Dallas's cap sheet, they've very quietly preserved max cap space next summer. So whether it's Giannis or even somebody else, a major max free agent could come join them. Um, and that would be a terrifying team with really anyone 
with those two guys. I feel like both Porzingis and Doncic are really easy to play with as well. You can fit almost any player with them. So what I'll say, right, uh, to your point, AC, about Chris Tapps being a good third option, what I'll say, if that's a, that would be a huge referendum on the parity of the league to what we were talking about in part one. If someone, not with the future potential, right, if someone with the current production of Chris Tapps is not a second option in today's league. That just means that the parity of the league is all screwed up. But uh, I'll, that's a conversation for another day. I think uh, I think let's shift gears to the to the Suns and with uh, the newly acquired uh, Chris Paul Suns. Yeah, so I mean the Suns were red hot in the bubble in the seeding games right before the bubble playoffs started. They won every single game, which is kind of incredible. Um, they very nearly made the playoffs. Do you guys think that there's like a carryover effect for something like that? If a team finishes strong in the previous season, are you expecting that to kind of carry over this year? I think so, especially when you, when you consider the fact that that roster has a lot of young guys, like Aiden and Booker and Bridges in particular. And now you add the point god himself. You know, Nissal and Ranga, you guys are talking about how the parity in the league is down. But when I see the Suns make, make moves like this, it makes me really excited that... We're going to have a completely uh, fun offensive-based team to watch. And, you know, we have he's an incredible passer and defender, and he'll set the pace. And, and he'll be a leader and motivator to help guys like Aiden and Booker really develop into their full potentials. So I think, you know, the Suns, this, this is huge. It's awesome. Yeah, I think parity in contenders is down. There may be parity in sort of second-tier teams. Uh, but to your point... I mean, Chris Paul completely uh, exceeded expectations in, in OKC last year, right? I mean, uh, he nearly brought that team to a victory over his previous team, the the Houston Rockets, that were loaded with Harden and Russ. So, and in fact, that playoff performance probably led to that that the, the Houston team dissipating now. So. Uh, I think Chris Paul is still a really, really great player, and, and I'm excited about. Uh, you know, watching him and Devin Booker. But my, my main point here is that I just th- think that um, their ceiling is still relatively low in terms of the postseason. Do you guys think that Chris Paul and Devin Booker now become the best backcourt in the NBA that Clay Thompson's now down? Oof, maybe. That's a bit of a loaded question, I know. But, I, I mean, who else is in the running? I mean, you could say maybe Westbrook and Bradley Beal out on the East, but... I feel like Chris Paul and Devin Booker was absolutely spectacular last year. Like, he was always an amazing shooter, but he's developed into a much better passer. Like, he, his pick-and-roll creation kind of came out of nowhere, and now he's like, oh, well, he can do that too on top of that shooting. And now Chris Paul is obviously the point god. I mean, I feel like they reliably can get you and basically exploit any matchup and any defense that you think are thrown against them. No, I mean, I, I think you guys are making a lot of great points for the Chris Paul signing, but... I actually have the opposite opinion, so I need Uswee to cue that hot take music right quick. Uh-oh. The hot take alert? Yes, hot go. take alert. Hot take alert! So, I actually am not a big fan of this signing for Chris Paul. Ooh, um, that is spicy hot take. Yeah. So, um, the reason being is because, for a couple of things. One... Chris Paul, when he was with the Rockets, signed a four-year, $159 million contract. Um, and for this season itself, he's expected $41 million, right? I think that's a lot 
first of all, when he signed that with Houston, it, it made sense. But it's a lot for the Suns to take on already. And he's 35, right? So by the time he's done with this contract, he's going to be like, what, 36, 37? Like, he's going to be old. And that also coincides with my next point with what kind of future is there with Chris Paul? Like, I, I see, like, the idea behind getting him. Yes, he's a good guy to sort of help to develop Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton particularly and all the other young guys there. But while I feel like you can make that point, you can also make the other argument for it where I feel like he takes away from what it is that Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton would be really good at. Because, for example, Devin Booker is phenomenal with the ball in his hands, right? He is a great shot creator. He is a much improved playmaker for his teammates. But now you have another guy in Chris Paul who, yes, while he can play off the ball, he is dominant with the ball in his hands as well. And I made this point earlier as well. When I when I see two ball-dominant guards in the backcourt, I never really like how that pairs for them. So it, we're going to probably see a lot of Devin Booker playing off the ball, which is a strength of his for sure. He's a great shooter. Uh, but I feel like he's much better with the ball in his hands. Um, I feel like a guy who would really benefit a little bit is probably Aiton. But again, like I, I just feel like I want to see Devin Booker and Aiton develop together as opposed to them bringing in a much older superstar that really won't be able to contribute much, in my opinion. Is it? Yeah, it's an interesting take. I mean, I think given his level of play last year, um, and given the, the kind of money the players are making, I think Chris Paul is worth $41 million for one season. To your point, you know, he's so old at this point that like maybe maybe next year he won't be. Um, but I also think Chris Paul is like skilled enough to make Booker better, even though they're both ball dominant uh, guards. And this is just something that happens when you go from a shitty team to becoming a better team. The superstars in many cases have to get used to just, you know, touching the ball a little bit less. Um, now for me, another question that I have is just, um, chemistry, right? Cause Chris Paul is known as sort of being like, you know, very, very vocal. He, he rubs certain stars the wrong way. Um, I think Devin Booker is, is a great player, but he's got a little bit of an ego. So I'm curious to see how the two of them, uh, get along. I actually wanted to comment on the idea of how you said he was worth 41 million for the season. I would I would say that's true if the Suns had a chance at a title, which they don't, in my opinion. Yes, they could probably be a, like a bottom barrel playoff team, maybe seventh, eighth seed. Hope, I mean, I hope they get into the playoffs. They should get some playoff exposure from this. But to pay an aging Chris Paul $41 million just to get some playoff experience, I don't really think is the move. I mean, ownership might ownership might have just been tired of hearing Charles Barkley talk about how empty their parking lot is and how real <laughs> their nachos are at this point. You know, I agree. It's probably like overpaying, but you know, for the city of Phoenix, they'll have a a, a fun team to back. You know, similar to to uh, Portland. Yeah, I, I I agree. And what I'll say is, I get it. Forty million is a lot, and if you're not winning a title, why go through that? But what I'll say is. In today's modern NBA, if you look at this offseason, players with 40% of Chris Paul's production are making 65% of that salary. So in context of today's NBA, I think, I, I think you know, how how are the Suns going to spend that money in a substantially better way? I, I just feel like they don't. And I think a lot of it's also them banking a little bit on the development of DeAndre Ayton, uh, who's very quietly developed into a really good player. I mean, people mostly think of him as the guy that was picked instead of Luka Doncic in that draft. But 
he's gotten way better defensively than anyone thought that he would be. He's got work to do on that end, but he's solid at least. And offensively, he's just so gifted as a roll man, as a post-up threat now. Um, he can shoot a little bit. So that's a guy who maybe with Chris Paul can develop a little bit more, and that's what they're hoping for. But I kind of agree with Anushan's general sentiment that it, it does seem like a little bit of like a short-term development and not much more beyond that. Going on to the point that you made about DeAndre Ayton, I I'm a big DeAndre Ayton guy too. Like, and I, I, that's why part of me does think, okay, the Chris Paul signing does sort of accelerate that growth, which is something I like, because like there are not many players with DeAndre Ayton's size. I believe he's seven one, like something like two sixty. He's a huge guy. His frame is gigantic, and there's not many guys with that kind of size that have the offensive capabilities that he has. Like, he's a great mid range shooter. Um, like you said, good low post option, great role, man. Um, he's starting to develop a bit of a three ball. So I don't know, like the ceiling's pretty high for the Suns and Aiden for sure. I mean, and uh, let me just add one thing also is like when you look at the moves that they made in the off season, it's very clear that ownership wants to make it back to the playoffs after what, like a decade. But it also, it doesn't look like it's just, that. it also looks like they're legitimately trying to compete. Right, because they made the the Chris Paul move, right? But then they got Jay Crowder. You know, he he can space the floor. That was for them. an excellent he's, signing to get him at the yeah, level. That's a good signing. Builds uh, the needs of the team because you know he's a capable wing scorer and defender. He's a tough veteran presence, right? Langston Galloway, good shooter off the bench, and he adds more shooting which they need and helps the reserve guard uh, reserve guard weaknesses of last year. Um, they moved around. Uh, some pieces so that they could and and they signed Damian Jones for very very cheap so allows for more cap space they re-signed uh, Javon Carter good defender and in the bubble he was um, 55% beyond the arc and before uh, before the bubble 42 and a half last season and he's a super cheap contract so they a lot of the moves that they made it increased their their shooting increase their depth and improve their defense so that, you know, the criticism people have of Booker and Aiton for their, you know, lack of defensive ability, they supported that by signing and trading for a lot of guys who could make up for that. So that's why I think that they will definitely be a a team that you shouldn't necessarily sleep on. Are they going to, you know, are they going to contend for a title? Most likely not, but they're definitely going to be a very annoying team to face in the playoffs. For sure. Do you guys think this is the year that Chris Paul maybe gets a little bit of a better rep as a playoff player? He has this reputation of being a guy who's not been able to perform in the playoffs. And I actually don't think it has any basis in reality. I mean, yes, he hasn't had the results. And he's had some legendary flameouts, kind of like James Harden has. But the difference between them is, look at career box plus minus. This guy's fifth all time in the history of the NBA. And it's not like that's a bogus stat because number one is Michael Jordan. Number two is LeBron James. So there's something to be said about that. I think opportunity has been a problem for him. I mean, he's been very unlucky in terms of injuries and things like that. But do you guys think that there's a chance that he can have a little bit of a run here and, and maybe shed that reputation? Or do you think the team just isn't good enough around him? It, 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 I think it's a fluke, right? So I, I agree. Uh, Chris Paul has the production. He's that player. Um, it, the skeptics will be able to, over a long period of time, and now we are reaching the last couple of years of Chris Paul's, um, relevancy as the top player. So he doesn't have too much time to change the mind of skeptics, but everything's there. Um, there's no reason he's, he's not going to make the conference finals or the finals, but uh, 
so maybe he won't change too many more minds that were uh, skeptical. But that being said, he's always been that player. Um, there's been no question in my mind. Yeah, I was just going to add, I think that um, the Clippers, back when Chris Paul was playing with the Clippers, a lot of those, and with the Rockets too, but mostly with the Clippers, a lot of the failures that they suffered was also really unlucky. I, they were dealing with a lot of injuries during those times. I know Blake Griffin wasn't always at 100%. During those days, Chris himself wasn't always at 100% dealing with hamstring issues, I believe. So there's always things that factor into the overall performance in a, a player's playoff career, right? So I just think it's a lot to do with being unlucky just as much as he himself hasn't played well. Right. Well, why don't we go from that to a team that also has had a lot of postseason failures, partly when Chris Paul was there, and that is the Houston Rockets. So here's a team that I think is headed for a full rebuild. All the moves they're making are pretty much geared toward a rebuild. They've traded away. Um, you know, they're they're saying all the right things. They're saying that you know, they're keeping James Harden, uh, who who is at least at this stage we're recording this publicly demanded a trade, but has not actually been traded. But then you know they they move off of Covington for some first round picks. They get rid of who I think is a better player in Westbrook to get John Wall. You know who really I think only for the first round pick they got with it because John Wall has not played in two years. You can say whatever you want about Westbrook, but it's clearly a talent downgrade if, if you're trying to rely on a guy who's coming off a serious Achilles injury and really hasn't played in two years. So I think they're headed for a rebuild. So I don't want to spend too much time on these guys, but just quickly, what do you guys think about their offseason? And initially when I saw the John Wall move, I, my heart sunk because I thought, well, they have John Wall. Would they trade for assets to get Ben Simmons so that we could get Harden or something? But the more I looked at the move, the more I understood it because – when you think about Westbrook as an asset, getting the the first round pick is really the best that they could have gotten for him because I don't see any legitimate contenders really gunning to get Westbrook. So you'd need some bottom feeder team of some sort to get him. So I I like the move for John Wall, uh, the the move the Rockets made for John Wall because at the very least it shores up assets for them. And, and they did make some nice moves. Like if you're just looking at the, from the general manager grading the general manager out, I mean getting Christian Wood was really nice. He's talented. He's not quite polished enough to be a championship level contributor, but that um, is a nice move. I mean, even getting some first round picks from various places. But even if Harden wants to stay up front, I feel like eventually they're just not going to be good enough. What yeah, I, I think they're they're in a really tough spot because like franchises can wait decades in in some instances to get a top tier caliber player, like many believe James Harden is. <laughs> um, uh, and look, I, I mean, you at least admit that he's a top tier player. I mean, there's no he is. He just no he's just like my. I just hate on him so much, man. <laughs> um, but but no look, like, exactly, he's got no cojones. But um, I mean, look, John Wall was incredible before he got hurt. He was a, a much better passer than Westbrook. Um, I would say he was still he'd still be a downgrade, but look, better passer, better shooter, so potentially a better fit for Harden. So, so I think he's a downgrade. Um, if both of them were healthy. Then the problem is here. Wall is definitely. I mean, I don't say he's definitely not healthy, but there's no evidence to say that he is healthy. He's played. I totally agree. I mean, he hasn't, hasn't played, played in two, two years. full years. You know, it's incredible. It, exactly he hasn't played in two years i mean the, the wall before that i mean you guys remember the game where he jumped on to the uh the scoring table um you know he, he's had some defined moments uh but yeah i think it was like a desperation move now at this point in in my opinion like harden where is harden gonna go like unless he joins a super team in brooklyn or, or some bullshit like that which we all hope does not happen right like like 
what is he going to do that's better than playing with John Wall? I mean, I mean, he's played with CP3. That went really far, and then he broke that up. He played with Russ. He broke that up. He played with Dwight. He broke that up. He played with KD. But it's important um, to say that, that with a lot of those moves, he's the one who was the reason, right? Like, he's, by all accounts, he's the guy who wanted Chris Paul traded. And, you know, then a year later, now Westbrook wants out. Like, at some point, like, he has to take some level of blame for that as well. I just want the record to show that I genuinely hate Christian Wood because he's the one who broke Ben Simmons' foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to the point the about... of a Sixers fan. Yep. To the point about Christian Wood, I feel like that's the only good signing, really. The only good move in that the Rockets have made during this uh, free agency period. I feel like John Wall, again, like AC's point, we don't know how good he's going to be coming off of not playing for two years. Uh, I'm a big John Wall guy, too. Like I love the way he like played the game with his being a slashing point guard who's also very good at running the pick and roll. Um, again, I don't think any of his like skills are really going to be showcased in with playing with the Rockets and playing with Harden because he's not he's a good shooter but not a great shooter, right? So there's not enough floor spacing. It's going to be like kind of like the Westbrook effect all over again, where you have a guy you can obviously cheat off of. Well, guys, I have a hot take. I'll sweet cue the hot take alert. Hot take alert. Anyone who knows me as a long-suffering Knicks fan knows that I absolutely hate James Dolan. I even got my parents to stop subscribing to Cablevision because I couldn't fund this guy anymore. He literally <laughs> ran my favorite franchise into the ground. I think officially, I believe now, that Tillman Fertitta is the worst owner in the NBA. This dude has his failing restaurant businesses. He begged Donald Trump to bail him out. And the problem is, unlike James Dolan, who's at least willing to spend money, this guy is unwilling to spend into the luxury tax. So he just keeps letting good players go. And then he pretends afterward that he was totally willing to pay. But, you know, this was the right basketball move. He's extremely arrogant with this stupid book that he's written and everything like that. He picked the coach, Steve Silas, who actually I think is a pretty promising coach, but he didn't consult Harden or Westbrook on that, which is ridiculous. He literally bought this team as a contender two years ago and has since run into the ground and, and, and forced the G- GM to make moves and done various things and basically chased Daryl Morey out of town, or at least Daryl Morey left without even looking backward uh, to get away from him. So I, I think you can fairly say this guy is the worst owner in the NBA. Wow, that that is a hot take. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's a pretty compelling argument, AC. I, I think he's got to be bad for a few more years before he, he can eclipse dolan that's my personal opinion but you're <laughs> that's fair. years of suffering is hard to eclipse by anyone but yeah <laughs> one other team i really want to discuss in detail which is the new orleans pelicans this is a team that the nba loves showing us they had a million national tv games last year of course zion gets hurt they probably expanded the bubble to so many teams just to have zion be on national tv now when he was playing they look really good I'm a little bit worried about his durability. Uh, what about you guys? What do you think? Well, if you consider the fact that um, the general manager said that he wants Zion to develop into playing the three and guarding threes, yeah, that I'm was. Con- that, I thought I that was like- an absurd take by the, their by by David Griffin. I don't know if he was just saying that. Like, what was what was that about? That's just going to add wear and tear to Zion. But you know, at this point in the season, or rather, the off season. You know, front offices say anything to just kind of throw things out there, kind of distract people from what they're actually doing. So no, it could be fair. some no, of that is a good point. But if if durability is a concern, 
I don't think he should play the three. He should stick to four. I, I think it's beyond the dribble. I don't think his game suits the three. He's like not a good shooter. He wants to be around the hoop. I don't think he's good at defending in space. I don't think he's even that good at defense at all right now. I mean, part of it is just being a rookie. I think he has the tools to be good defensively with his vertical and his you know overall strength. Um, but he's not good defensively. So I don't think I think the three putting him in the three would be a disaster. And I also think that I thought them trading for Steven Adams was a really bad move. Um, don't get me wrong. He's experienced. He's tough. But he's making a ton of money. He's cl- going to clog the paint for Zion. He's actually declined a lot. He quietly, he's not the same defensive player he used to be. And offensively, he can really barely do anything besides catch and you know, make follow-up playoffs, things like that. Um, and I, frankly, I'd rather just have kept Derek Favors, who's just a better player. So I don't really, I think that was like making like a move too much that didn't need to be made. To the point about um, Stephen Adams uh, now being a, cl- uh, a Pelican, um, it's funny. I, I, it's, I don't know how teams are going to like really deal with all that physicality between Zion and Stephen Adams. Like they so all you like, these the, guys you, you like, like the overwhelming, like I, 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 strength, I don't, brute strength of them. That's the only part of it I like. I don't think I agree that Derek Harris <laughs> is probably better, right? Like, it's just like it's gonna be super imposing. Like this team is gonna be crash offensive glass or go broke. That's the only way I see it. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I, I've always really liked Steven Adams as a player. I do think he's declined quite a bit. Um, I also agree, like with with a player like Zion, you know, you don't wanna have too much too many players clogging up the paint. Um, but I also think, look, like Zion's not the tallest player. Like you said, he's not a great defender. And and look, like the West is big. There are you got Joker out there, you got AD out there, and you, you need someone who can give Zion a little bit of a break. So I'm not as low on the uh, Steven Adams acquisition as you are. Um, as for Zion, I think the dude, homie's got to like lose some weight, right? He's got to lose some weight, and, he, and he's got to learn how to play, I would say, like 20 pounds lighter in the NBA, and, and let's see how he does. Don't we all, though? <laughs> True that. Yeah, quarantine got me looking a bit chunky out here. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> yep. Look, Ranga, I, I I agree with your point about Steven Adams because, look, he, he's a very selfless player. Often at OKC, you could see him like kind of getting, moving people out of the way for Westbrook to just drive in, right? And when you think about a guy like Zion who, you know, you're worried about his durability, if if, if players are playing a little too physical with Zion, you have Steven Adams there as the enforcer kind of just making them pay for doing that. And he could take a lot of the blows that that Zion would would be taking. So I, I like having him there, and and also from the locker room perspective, I think having him around is really good because he is, you know, by a lot of accounts, he's a great teammate. So oh, yeah, I actually great teammates. Understand this is a guy who didn't get rebounds so that Westbrook could get triple double. So that's the level of teammate <laughs> this guy. You know, so I, I really, I really. Uh, think that the Steven Adams move is, is like people seem to be pretty down on it. I actually am not. I, I think that there's a lot of upside to it. Obviously, that upside is limited because of you know Zion's game. I do. I do think one he, thing he does really well is he's like a bone bruising screen setter. Right, probably one of the best in the NBA at setting screens. So I feel like if their shooters like Brandon Ingram, Etwan Moore, guys like that can. Get like get loose off a of floppy action or like pin downs. Like I feel like that'd be a good source of offense. And when you have Lonzo at the helm, who can find those guys, I think it'll be an interesting offense uh, to watch. They just don't have enough 
team shooting to me. Like, yes, they have JJ Reddick, but Lonzo's a oh, bit yeah, shaky. You know, Zion doesn't really have a shot. Adams, I just don't see see enough. You know, I I do like one move they made though a lot, and that is hiring Stan Van Gundy. I've always thought that Stan Van Gundy was a fantastic coach. Uh, he was ahead of the curve with those Orlando teams. Um, they were, you know, with Rashard Lewis and Hito Turkaloo, they were taking a ton of threes. Um, they were basically playing modern basketball against old school teams like the Cavs. I always thought he got a lot out of his teams, whoever he coached. Even the old Miami team before Shaq chasing away, I thought they did a really good job. You know, obviously Pat Riley comes in, they win a championship, but Stan Van was legitimate. So I think the coaching upgrade here is huge. Personally, I love this hire. I think he's a pretty intelligent coach. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed last year was was listening to Stan Van Gundy on podcasts and listening to like the way he views basketball. Uh, again, I think he's he's a very high IQ coach, and with him and um, Griffin, uh, I think we have a, a pretty strong front office here and, and a bright future for the organization. One thing, though, personally. I kind of wish they hired Jeff Van Gundy instead so he could be rid of his ESPN color commentary where he complains <laughs> more about the rules than he actually comments on the game. Like, I've been waiting for someone to hire Jeff. I mean, man, I love Jeff Van Gundy, man. You're my coach. I genuinely love you. You know, you you were there clinging on to Lonzo Morning back in the day doing your thing. But, man, it's time for you to find another job so I can get some actual NBA commentary. <laughs> He's the greatest coach apologist. Like fifty percent of his commentary is about how it's not the coach's fault when a team. Is <laughs> That's so true. The other fifty percent is how the rules should be different. Yeah. <laughs> but to his credit, he did get he did help with the flopping fine, right? So yeah, yeah. His he's whined about it so much that they changed it, and then frankly, they need to change it again. But I'm just saying, at some point, like I'd like someone to hire, and you know, Mark Jackson, another guy, someone hire him, please. Yeah, he's not the hand down, man. No. So. Okay, everyone, and that wraps up a well, well-worn out hour of talking about the Western Conference uh, two-parter. Um, the West certainly, you know, didn't come short up this year. So be sure to like, subscribe, share it with your friends. You know, show it to your teacher at school, show it to your boss, <laughs> um, share this podcast with everyone because we're the brown men are only uh, getting stronger. You know, there but we is. still won't jump. We still won't jump. We will never jump. We ain't gonna jump for you guys. We'll do everything else. Peace out, guys. Until next time.